Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, We had a great start to uh, our connection groups this week, so we're back in homes, and that was awesome, just getting together. We have a Wednesday night, Thursday night. Wednesday night is packed, and so uh, if you're still interested, Thursday night is available. We have a home here in Marietta, so Pat and Nancy offer up their home, and it's just down the street from here. So, um, yeah, so really appreciate it. Uh, make sure uh, that if you're in the connection groups, emails are sent out Sunday night, Monday morning, and so that'll give you all your information for this week, and that's how you'll be getting your stuff every week. So uh, just make sure you're kind of paying attention to that. You guys, uh, what a crazy morning. I'm not going to name this person, but somebody did not lock our storage unit. We don't need to know who it is. We don't need to blame. We're about grace here. So we're just gonna let that, I wanted to blame Laura Lee, but I couldn't. She's just too nice, but I really want to blame her. Uh, So they actually locked it for us and I didn't get the message till this morning and they're closed. So we had no storage unit. Uh, So we were scrambling. I mean, almost like, do we even do church? It's gonna be nuts, no sound, no nothing, but we've got children's training, a lot going on. So thank you to the Hanley family. Um, Ephraim and Killian were here early. This is their this is their sound system, so uh, thank you for getting here, uh, figuring things out, and uh, just a lot of people scrambling. Pat uh, and the worship team, uh, so thank you guys for making it happen. It is good to be here, um, and uh, I want to pray. And we are going to be talking about uh, end times, which is something when you hear about another question, you're like, uh oh, this is going to get. Um, but it's something that Jesus talked a lot about, and hopefully we talk about it in a way that doesn't burden you, but really focuses you and frees you uh, today. Uh, before I pray, wh- what were some of the thoughts or feelings? What were things that came to mind as far as just like, and it could be a variety of things. I mean, I know when I was younger, like in times I was like, no, I want to get married and have kids first. Like that was very immature, but I'm like, don't come yet. Like when I hear in time sermons, I'm like, no. Uh, what are the things that you think or feel? Yeah. Occupy, okay? So you're here, occupy the area till he comes. We're foreigners, right? Just be ready. Yeah, be ready, okay? Other thoughts or feelings that you heard or that you guys expressed? Epic battle, yeah. Yeah, that comes up. Say what? Yeah, this paradoxical emotions that we're going to be feeling that we feel now actually you're super stoked about but you're also bummed for people that are disconnected from jesus ali were you gonna say something <laughs> yeah 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 some of this group in churches every week is like I, I know you know what's what's coming and other churches avoided it um jesus uh thank you for today thank you for um working things out um god i just uh I just pray that we be a church, Lord, that we handle your word and the words that you say um, with responsibility and we don't reject things that we don't like to hear from you. We do that a lot in life, God, when we don't like what our parents say or we don't like what authority says, we kind of just dismiss it and there can be grave consequences. But also, God, I pray that today you told us for a reason and I pray to give us courage and emboldenness and that it would cause us to make sure we're not living for the things of this world but we're living for eternity, God. And so I pray that you just prepare us uh, as a church uh, today. In your name, amen. 
You know, when it comes to end times, a lot of times you think about that. I, for a while, I was going to a church. It was a Southern Baptist church in uh, Hellfire and Brimstone almost every, every week, right? And so we heard it. We got yelled at. It was one of those churches where they would take the offering. They'd literally count it while they're doing worship. And if it wasn't enough, they'd put the baskets through. And so, yeah, so it was pretty, pretty hard. So you're welcome for a church where we don't do that. Um, so, um, yeah. Say what? Yeah, a few times. Yeah, I got burned a few times. So we got, we got called out a lot. But, um, you know, it's one of those things a lot of times when it comes to the end times, you have this certain imagery, right? It could be that, that kind of a church if you grew up in. Um, it could be the guy on the corner with the bullhorn. Right, saying repent, time isn't right, and you're just everyone drives by being like that guy's crazy, things like that. Um, and we tend to think of it as a religious thing. But what's interesting, if you actually listen to the world and listen to people, um, they think about it a lot. They just don't know how to think about it. Uh, what's interesting is this was in the Guardian, March 2022, so this year. Gary Lynch is the CEO. The article says of Rising S Company in Texas. When I first visited his warehouse in 2018, I watched his crew assemble, deliver, and bury a handful of bunkers in people's backyards every month. The bunkers are thick plate steel boxes that are welded together like a giant Lego set. The size of the bunkers is limited only by the client's resources. New Zealand has seen a thousand percent increase in billionaires doing underground bunkers in New Zealand, Queenstown, which is where the rich and famous kind of ski and play and frolic and things like that. They're building their bunkers there. Nobody talks about it. Nobody knows about it. But I think somebody's a little bit nervous. Sales, he said, have spiked also over a thousand percent since the anxieties of the pandemic. Civil unrest, climate change, war, all these things you're going to hear on the news to make you fearful, right? Some true, some not so true, some are half-truths. But they all have an effect on the human soul. He says, in the past month, I would have normally fielded less than 100 inquiries. I fielded over 3,000 in February. The sudden surge of interest is also part of a longer trend. 2012 National Geographic survey found that 62% of Americans thought the world would experience a major catastrophe in less than 20 years, which proved correct. A further 40% believe that stocking up on supplies, building a bomb shelter, was a wiser investment than savings or retirement. He says that the global market for incident and emergency management is expected to jump from 75 billion to 423 billion. Companies are getting involved, building bunkers for their company. There's a company in Italy, they're a global company that built over 100 bunkers for employees, for themselves. Things you don't hear about, huh? It says the fastest uh, group actually are millennials, not as old people. The young people are thinking about it too. They hear what's going on and it affects their souls. 77% have emergency supplies and stated that they thought uh, they bought them in the past, within the past 12 months. People are thinking about like, this is going down. This is getting crazy, right? And the problem is that I believe that if you don't have God in your life, you have no hope. Here's the problem with a bunker. If you're a billionaire and the world goes crazy, you're no longer a billionaire and nobody cares. Right. And I think it's funny, too, where they're building these bunkers. And it's one of those things. It's like, well, you have the bunker, but other people can overtake that bunker if things get crazy. There really is no hope. Right. We go back to um, Darwinism. Right. 
where it's the fittest, the fastest, the strongest survive, and there's not a lot of hope in that, we become animalistic, which is what's happening to us in our culture today. People are curious about it. That's You know one book that I get asked to do the most to preach on? Revelation, yeah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> right? I'll address it today. But um, everybody wants to, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? And Jesus really unpacks this for us. Uh, the, the passage we're in today, and I know we don't have the verses up, and so hopefully you have your Bibles with you. You can plug in, uh, put it on your phone. Hopefully if you've downloaded it. Because I really, we're, unfortunately, we're reading a lot of scripture today. I really want to walk you through the words of Jesus. Now, just so you know, in Luke 21, you guys, it is Wednesday. Jesus dies on Friday. Luke 21, it's Wednesday. When he's talking to them, the next day is Passover. That's John 14 through 16. And then you got a lot of parallel passages in here. So when you read John 14 through 16, it's right when Jesus is doing Luke 21. And then he dies. As I've said before throughout the sermon series, the closer someone gets to death, the deeper things they talk about. They don't care about who won the basketball game. Care less. We're talking life and death here. So Jesus is getting more and more important uh, or, or, or putting more and more importance on some of his words. He's really wanting to drive home certain things. And what's interesting is he's asked a question here in Luke 21, and he actually gives the longest answer in the New Testament. What we're going through is the longest answer Jesus gives. I think he really wants us to know it, not just the disciples, but he wants us to know and understand the end times. We're going to start in Luke 21. We'll start in verse 5. It says, Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. Again, I love how Jesus takes kind of monotonous situations and turns them into deeper things. They're just saying, man, the temple looks good. And that's important for the Israelites. Like they want the temple to, to be valuable, to look good, to be that people that took care of it and cleaned it. And this is the house of God, right? They're just trying to say a good thing. They're probably like, let's not say anything to, you know, take Jesus off. Let's not go in. And Jesus just uses that. And this is what he says. Well, for as what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And they had to be like, oh, my God, here goes Jesus again, right? What, is, what does this mean? What's crazy about this is you got to remember, they thought that Jesus came to restore the Israelites and the throne was going to be in that temple. Now they're really confused. They're like, uh, wait, destroyed it? Then how are you going to be king? How are we going to rule? They wanted to revolt against the Romans. It seemed preposterous at the time, you guys, too. They were pretty much getting along. They had little skirmishes, but they're getting along with the Romans, and they're really hoping Jesus would free them. Have you ever read the Bible or read something or the Holy Spirit laid something on your heart and it seemed preposterous? God wanted you to do something or said something in the Bible. You're like, ah, that, ju that just seems so far-fetched. One of the things you're going to see with the end times is the end times is just an extension of who God has been throughout history. Where When he says it's going to happen, it happens. Do you realize that there's been thousands of people that have tried to disprove prophecies in the Bible? Thousands. Not one. The most brilliant minds. Because if you could disprove the Bible and disprove God, you just took down one of the biggest religions in the world. Thousands upon thousands, and they keep coming true. I remember that uh, uh, back when I first became a Christian, the big debate was David and his kingdom, and there's a big debate about that. 
And, and so all these books I was reading philosophically and viewpoints and archaeology, and what do they know? They excavate one area. David's kingdom and all that was written in the Bible is true. Isn't it interesting where if we just give a little time, God's words are always true. That gives me faith in what he says because we're going to read some difficult things. Just so you know, this is how true God's words are. It took 40 years for this to happen, by the way. 40 years later, the temple would be destroyed. You see, it was a five-month siege by the Romans, and they surrounded the city. Not only did they destroy the temple, but because the temple had gold in the walls and all around it, what did they do? They turned over every stone to excavate all the gold. Literally every stone was taken off the walls. Jesus doesn't generalize prophecies. He's very specific. He doesn't do it to scare you. He does it to inform you. Right? Does anybody when you're driving get angry when a sign warns you? Hey, hey, the turn. Go 30 miles an hour. How dare they tell me what to do? I'll drive 60 if I want. That's why I have this 1983 Toyota, right? So I can max it out around a court, right? Nobody gets angry. Nobody shoots the sign. How dare you tell me, right? Nobody, I mean, when I was a lifeguard, nobody got anger. I'm like, hey, we got larger, we got a rip current here. How dare you? They're like, thank you. I don't understand then when God, when people are like, well, we shouldn't talk about God's warnings, just about God's love. How unloving to not warn someone. How incredibly hateful do you have to be of yourself and another human being to see danger and be like, eh. So we can't follow the world in that because the world's turned into that, right? But Christians, we care and we know. Now, how you give that warning, right, is a big deal. But Jesus, out of love, is saying this is reality, and reality is tough for us. Have you noticed that a lot of us like to avoid reality? Right? We avoid reality. We avoid financial reality. We see the bank account going down. We just, I don't want to look anymore. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. Hey, do a budget. Ah, it's too much. It's too overwhelming. That's why you have a ton of people, right? Debt, bankruptcy, all that. They didn't like reality. Sometimes, almost every time I'm doing marriage counseling, I'm like, guys, if we would have met two years ago, five weeks ago, six years, like, it would be so much easier to fix. But what happens? We, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's not that bad. And we don't deal with reality. And when we don't deal with reality, things always get worse. So God's like, listen, I don't want it to. So they said, teacher, in verse 7, when will these things happen? Notice the first thing in a human being's mind when it comes to end times. What's the first question? When? Right? Have you ever been in a debate with someone? Like when it's going to happen? Have you ever been in an environment where they try to figure it out, try to predict it? Have you ever been in those environments? I've had people even tell me, you need to preach on the, you need to, when it will happen. The problem with that premise is you haven't read the Bible. You have no idea what Jesus says. Because Jesus doesn't even address that specifically. It says in Mark 13, 32, Jesus says, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So do you think any church is going to figure out what Jesus doesn't know yet? You think there's any church that's like, oh, we got this sign and these numbers and divide by five. And then when Israel does this and they elect this person and then the Antichrist and then you do this. And then if you draw a line to this person, it goes to that person. And then historically they come from, ever been there where it's like, this is nuts. You're trying to figure out something that even Jesus is like, dude, I don't even know you. Like only the father knows. So I'm going to assume no church knows. So if you're reading books about it, trying to figure it out, 
Here's the thing. You're distracted. You're chasing the wrong rabbit. Jesus says, the goal isn't for you to figure out the date. You see, you're not here to predict. You're here to prepare. And those are two different people. So they said, well, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And he replied, watch out that you are not deceived. Once again, people ask a question. God's like, I'm not going to answer that question. He does it over and over again. Be mindful of the questions you ask God. A lot of times he'll give you an answer that has nothing to do with your question because you're asking the wrong question and he doesn't want to give you the wrong answer. He'd rather give you the right answer to the wrong question. And so he just says, listen, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he. The time is near. So many people will predict to be God. And maybe they won't say they're Jesus, but they'll act like Jesus. They'll say they have a new, deeper insight or truth. That's how cults are started. I have some special knowledge that you don't have, and it's a secret knowledge. And I met with angels that you can't see, and I read a special golden book with golden glasses that you can't figure out, right? And you have to wear special underwear and all this stuff. That it's like, there's nothing, there's nothing of that in the Bible. There will always be people, and sometimes it doesn't look religious, but people will say, oh, this is another way for hope. It's education. Oh, it's physical fitness, right? And so they'll come up with different things that's political. That'll give you freedom and hope. And Jesus says, listen, you're going to be deceived by many. Do not follow them. So that's one of the signs of the end time is deception. And what does deception mean? That it actually comes from within Christianity. It appears to be Christianity, but it's not. Which means people will be led to a false salvation. You guys, that's why I talk a lot about, I know sometimes you're like, man, I feel like, Brian, you rip on us more than the world. <laughs> because my greatest burden is that you would not be deceived. You're following an authentic faith is huge to me. Because it's easy to deceive ourselves. And I want to make sure it's not Brian's religion, but I push you to Jesus to make sure you have a clear understanding of his expectations and of his desires. So he says, do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Have you guys heard of those things lately? That's why the bunker sales are up. That's why gun sales are up. Gun sales always spike when there's fear. And they're going to go back down, right? People are frightened. They're scared. Right? And he says, as Christians, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Um, just so you know, the word frightened doesn't mean to have, like, be scared. He's not saying don't have any kind of, like, fear in your heart. The word actually means, the Greek word is startled. Don't be startled or surprised. It's the same Greek word that in Luke 24, when Jesus appeared out of nowhere, the disciples, when they, were, when they were walking on the road, he just appeared to them like, whoa, they got startled, right? When crazy things happen in our world, we shouldn't be like, whoa, what just happened? I can't believe this. I've been praying for world peace since I was 10 years old. Like, why isn't the world becoming more peaceful? Because God already told you it's not becoming more peaceful. So why are you praying for something that's actually against God's will? right? That's the Miss America answer. You know, what are you going to bring to the world as Miss America? I'm going to bring world peace, right? And it's like, no, you're not. You're not. And nobody is. We have to kind of wrestle with that reality, right? And so when we hear things of climate change and things like that, and the world is, you know, this or that or comets or all that kind of stuff, we don't necessarily have to be like, there's no way. That's, none of that's happening. God already said the physical world is literally decaying, right? First or, or the second law of thermodynamics, right? Things go from order to chaos. God created that universe. Things aren't getting more organized and better. 
they're becoming more chaotic. And so is civilization. We just have to, okay, this is what God said. And these are, Jesus described it in Matthew, saying these are the, those of you that have been pregnant, birth pains. Right? Your first birth pain, just so you know, if you haven't been pregnant, you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Ah, what, what, what's going on? Baby's not coming right away. Right? In fact, there's sometimes where there's those false ones. We had it with uh, our kids. The false alarms are like, uh, get up, get everything going, get to the hospital, false alarm, drive back home, you know, not yet. And he's saying, listen, I'm just describing to you birth pains. Just so you know right now, too, it's birth pains. He says, it's going to come, uh, but the end will not come right away, but things will escalate. In verse, if you're following along, then we're going to... Uh, Go to verse 10. He says, then he said to them, not only will there be deception. Okay, that's one thing that will happen for end times. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Just so you know, that means there's a physical war and spiritual war. Nation versus nation is literally that kingdom is only used when God talks about his kingdom and, and Satan's kingdom. He's saying there's going to be physical war, but just so you know, there's going to be escalated spiritual war. A lot of times we attribute everything just to the physical, mental health. Bad childhood, people just drugs. Those things could play a role, but the Bible says there's also the church has to rest, guys. There's an escalated spiritual conflict. And just so you know, that's what Revelation 6 through 19, if you want to read it on your own, Revelation, because you love it, Revelation 6 through 19 is basically when the birth pain, it's already escalated and the birth thing is about, the new king is about to come, okay? So that's what you're reading. You're reading the very, very, very end times. So when people try to apply Revelation 6 through 19 to nowadays, that's where those churches always get confused. 6 through 19. It's those chapters are the key chapters, right? 6 through 19 is about the final seals and the bowls and all these weird things you're going to read about. It's about the final boom. We're getting down to countdown. So that will help you as far as like, no, what we're seeing now, it's just, we are seeing these birthing pains though. So that means that we're going to continue to see war and we're going to pray for peace but we're not going to get it, you guys. There will always be wars. And just so you know, there's been a war every year since the beginning of time. Everyone's like, oh, when the, when the wall fell, right? Then we went to a time of peace. No. It's just that it went dormant, and then what has Russia done? Built back up. What did China do? Built back up. We're always been it. Men and women will be at war. So we, we understand that. But also the spiritual battle, and be aware as a church, spiritual battle will increase. So we shouldn't be surprised. We have to be praying against that and battling that. He said there will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. There will be, and when it's talking about heaven, it's not talking about heaven where he is. The heaven sometimes is used as far as just when it comes to space. We will see cosmic things happening. That's the sign when it's like, oh, it's starting to go down. So he's saying, be prepared. So basically, we go from, listen, you're going to be dealing with deception, but you're also going to be dealing with disasters, man-made, natural, and supernatural disasters. These are the times that we live in. Deception, disasters. He, he goes on to say, before all of this, they will seize and persecute you. So he says, before all these things happen, though, when it gets crazy, you're going to go through persecution. They will hang you over to the synagogues and put you in prison which is all of the book of Acts. Everything Jesus said was the book of Acts. Prophecy comes true. He says, and you'll be brought before kings and governors all on the account of my name. And so you'll bear testimony to me. 
But make up your mind not to worry beforehand, it says. I wish it was up on the screen here. Look what it says. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand. One of the things I want to encourage you is that many of us try to prepare for emergencies in the middle of the emergencies, and that's the worst time. I'm going on a, a, a hunting trip. We're going to get elk. We're going to be in the boonies. We're doing everything now. And there's a little bit of fear there, and that's what helps me to prepare well. So I have everything as far as just a tourniquet. We have a sat phone. We have all these things. Now, the bad kind of fear is where you're so scared. You're like, I'll never go in the woods. I'll never hunt me. You know, it's like, well, you're going to miss out on some really good stuff there. But you also shouldn't be so naive that you have no fear. And I'm going to wander in the forest and just eat blueberries and trust God. And I have a string and some duct tape and a tarp, and I'm going to survive. And then a bear comes and eats you. So I have bear spray. Yeah. I have a handgun. It could get dirty, but Jesus says, listen, I'm letting you know in advance. Woe to the people that don't pay attention. And when that bear comes, they're unprepared. So it doesn't paralyze us from living, you guys. It says, no, this is going to help you to live effectively, focused, courageously, because very few people will live that way. That's what the church should look like. The church shouldn't look like that we're balled up, sucking our thumb, just as worried as the rest of the world. They need to see people standing courage, being we have hope, we have focus, and we know why things are going down and they're not getting better. Choose beforehand where you stand. And that's important too, whether it's the end times that take our lives or just the end of our lives that take our lives. I think we all assume I'm going to live to that ripe old age, right? Stan, God bless you, though. You are an inspiration to us, man. You just keep going. What are you, you're only like 55, right? <laughs> but Stan knows this. I know this, and you know this. End times can be quicker because it's either the end of our life or the end of this world. And we should really settle that in our hearts of where am I going to be for eternity? Don't wait till later. Oh, I'm going to rebel now, and I'll, I'll get godly later. It won't happen later. And so it says that, beforehand, make up in your mind not to worry or how you will defend yourselves. How are we going to interact with this world? No, 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 don't worry about that. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. God is the one who will defend you. God is the one who will sustain you. God is the one who will empower you. But don't be paralyzed by worry. God can't use you if you're on the ground worried, saying, I can't do anything. God's got you. You don't have yourself. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. There will be deception in the end times. There will be destruction. There will be also distress. This is very tough for us, you guys, because what is America built on, the country we live in? What is it built on? What do the founding fathers put in there as far as what's our goal in this life? Freedom, pursuit of happiness. It's in right our founding documents. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. This is why we are blessed to be Americans but we are cursed to mix those together with Christianity. 
And that's why some of us struggle to follow God because we think, oh, God wrote that in the Bible. No, he didn't. Men wrote it. And it's a great document. And I think our country's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's got a lot of scars. It's got a lot of things to change. But there's a reason why people are dying literally to get here. We're blessed. But when we mix that with Christianity, he says, oh, it's not the pursuit of your happiness. It's actually the sacrifice of your life to save others so that I will give you happiness in eternity, but not in this world. This world's not about happiness. This world is about being on mission, staying focused, making sure you stand firm, and that you're saved before you try to save others. Make sure your salvation is set before you're always trying to save others. And that sounds weird because like, wait a second, does that make me fearful? No, just have confidence. Make sure you go back. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I believe he forgave me. And not just what I believe, but it shows in my actions. I forgive others the way God forgave me because he says, I'm not forgiven if I won't forgive others. I'm thinking about those things. Am I walking in salvation or did I just pray a prayer, cross my fingers, and I'm going to expect to glide in? He says, no, no, no. Stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm means you must persevere. He goes on to say in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. He's talking about the very end times now. People will faint from terror, apprehensive about what is coming on in the world, which we see a little bit of that. Everyone's apprehensive. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus will physically come back. This is what we believe. He's literally coming back. And when he, come, and he came the first time, he's a savior. The second time, he comes as a conqueror. First time, he's a savior, but he says, when I come back, it's to conquer. And he says, when these things take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Just so you know, when you read that, you're like, well, that generation did pass away, right? Generation can be, in the Greek, can be interpreted two ways. It can be a time, or it can actually be a race of people. And all he's saying is the Israelites will not pass away before this time will come. We've seen the reunification, at least, of the state of Israel. I don't know about the faith of Israel, but the state of Israel. And so he's saying is my people from that lineage will not pass away until it comes. So that's, if you've ever been confused, that's what that passage means. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful of your hearts that they will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that the day will close on you like a sudden trap. For it will come on those who live on the whole face of the earth. Be always on the watch. And just so you know that word when it says be always on the watch, it actually literally means don't fall asleep. As you're doing life and you're cruising along, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Brian, that's a good sermon, but you know what? He said this for thousands of years. Nothing's happened. And when you stop believing in the word of God, you start sleeping on God because his words just don't seem that real. And so it says you fall asleep. You're not paying attention to what's really important. So that's what that word means. Be always on the watch and pray that, you know, this is what's interesting. It says, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Just so you know, that you is actually plural. In the Greek, it means you all. He's not saying just pray for you. He's saying y'all. Pray for y'all. Pray for Christians that they can stand firm. 
So part of our prayer life is praying for courage and for the church to stand firm because it's going to get crazy. So pray for yourself, pray for others. And what's great about when you're praying about it, that means you're thinking about it. I believe we forget how to live when we don't realize and think about how we're going to die. But when you know that you're going to die, I think it gives clarity to life. So he's saying pray for the end times. Pray whether it's going to happen in your life or not, but pray about it. And what that does is it's going to focus you too. It's like, oh yeah, there is an end. There's an expiration to this world. And the hope is then that we get one, a new world of righteousness and one where there is no sin, there is no weeping. And he goes on to say, he goes and pray that all this will happen and that you'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. What we see is Jesus never gives us a time. He doesn't say try to figure it out. He says prepare. The church should be prepared. People in this world are setting up bunkers. The problem with that is if a comet hits this world, those bunkers go too. I just think it's funny when it's like, oh, I'm going to be underground somewhere. It's like, no, nah, things get crazy. But they're putting in hope in food, in their money, in being underground. And God's like, no. Hope, are you seeing now where hope is only in Jesus Christ? Hope is in Jesus Christ. And this world is looking for hope. How do I know that? I don't know. How many of you guys know who Elon Musk is? You guys know who Elon Musk is, right? And he's known as the Tesla guy, right? Right? Makes these amazing electric cars and all that kind of stuff. You know what his life goal is this when you read his interview or when you listen to his interviews? You know what his number one goal is in life? Not just to go to space. He believes that redemption is only found on getting human beings off the planet. Literally said this in an interview. He said a multiple on Joe Rogan he's been on a few times. And I know he was smoking some weed, so who knows if that affected him. But, you know, but just so you know, Tesla electric vehicles is not his goal. Getting us off the planet. That's why people look at him as a savior. They literally look at him as a savior. Our world is looking for hope, guys. I believe sometimes the church is looking for hope. And we put our hope in retirement. We put our hope in, oh, yeah, I'm going to act like the world and buy more guns and buy food. Now, here's the thing. In itself, having a gun, buying extra food in case electricity goes out. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that your anxiety is so much that you're not praying, you're not thinking through as far as like, that's not enough. Preparing for the end, Jesus talks about this. Listen, this is why two days before I die, I want to tell you about the end times. One is don't turn from authentic faith because it will be easy to. Things will become so great in this world, it'll be easy for you to be obsessed with the world and not Jesus because things will be so great. We'll actually be paralyzed from walking with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've been paralyzed by fear and you just panic. What happens when people panic most of the time? What do they do? Freeze. They just freeze. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't freeze. Be prepared for the moment. Be ready. Authentic grace or authentic faith is what we've been talking about. And I want to define it simply as this, that our faith is by grace, for love, with hope, and in truth. That's what authentic faith is. It's by grace. None of us can earn it. It's by God's grace, what he did on the cross that changes us and that we receive his forgiveness. That's what faith has to come from. It's for love, that I'm loving other people because of God's love for me. It's with hope. I don't become 
desperate like people, in despair like other people, because we have eternal hope. No matter how bad this life is, it ends really well for us because we live forever. Think about that. One billion years, 10 billion years, 100 billion years. Life never ends, and it's imperfection. That has to give us hope. But we also do it in truth. Authentic faith, we don't glass over things in the Bible. We don't avoid talking about end times when someone's panicking, being like, oh, yeah, let's talk about it. Is it going to get better? I don't think so. And be able to engage. Don't glass over things in the scripture that are truth. People need to be knowing what reality is. This is why Romans 16 says this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving Lord Christ, our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. And make sure we are not people that are naive. The second thing Jesus is trying to talk about here with the disciples is stay focused on Jesus and not this world. Stay focused on Jesus and not this world. How do I know? How do you know if you're like, how do you know if you're focused on Jesus or this world? You ever thought about that? How, how do you know? Jesus talked about it in this passage. Three things for you to think about and evaluate in your own life. One is that when I focus on this world, it causes anxiety. When I focus on Jesus, it brings peace. When I focus on the world, it brings anxiety. When I focus on Jesus, it brings peace. When I focus on the world, it brings depression. When I focus on Jesus, it brings hope. When I focus on this world, I become hedonistic. When I focus on Jesus, I become sacrificial. You know what hedonistic means? For my pleasure, for my protection, and I'm number one, not others. That's what hedonism is. I live for numero uno, right? And I live for pleasure. That's what it's all about. I avoid pain, and I live for pleasure. Where Jesus says, no, I actually embrace pain, and I live a life of sacrifice, because that's actually the righteous and loving way to live. If it wasn't that way, no moms would be producing babies. It's not like it's a happy, happy, joy, joy. Oh, I can't, yo, it's going to feel so good. Right? Nobody, no. They're like, ah, oh, right? And nowadays we have at least a little bit of drugs we can pump in. But back in the day, right? This is brutal, right? But the, why do moms do that? Because the end product is worth the pain. The end product, what I get a human being, this supernatural, miraculous person that formed from cells that God breathed life into, it's worth the pain. And hedonism says, nope, you're not going to change this body. I'm going to stay fit. I'm going to stay fun. And I don't want, it's not worth the pain. No, 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 no. It's a beautiful thing to be a mother. That's why being a mother is a, is a supernatural, not just a natural thing. It's something that God designed. But it takes pain to get to the sacrificial love. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things, education, politics, social economics, wars, famine, this, that. <sighs> Set your minds on things above. It's not that I'm clueless what's going on, but I'm focused on, no, 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 bigger things, Jesus. He's coming back, and he's told us about all of this. And the, uh, the last thing that Jesus says is pray for the future. Don't assume it. Don't assume everything's going to be good. Pray about it. 
pray for yourself, pray for the church, pray that we will be strong. Jeremiah is a popular passage, 29, 11 through 13. But a lot of times we've only read verse 11. We haven't read 12 and 13. It's verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, right? You guys know this one. Declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, that sounds great. But he says this. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So just so you know, that thing on your coffee mug or the tattoo on your lower back, Jeremiah 29, right, 11, right, we all, you know, you got that? For I know the plan, and there's worship songs about it, for I know the plans I have for you. Yeah, that's if you seek him and love him with all your heart. Part of the end time should focus us. Is it a little scary? Yeah, but it shouldn't paralyze us. The world isn't getting better, but there's hope in Christ, and he's our only hope. I don't know what this is going to do for you this week. I hope that it inspires you. I hope for some of us it's kind of like my hunting trip. Don't walk around the forest with no bear spray, no bag, no nothing, and then get be bummed at God like, God, why is this happening to me? Because you went to the forest with nothing. Prepare for this life. Don't just prepare with a good education, good relationships, things like that. Prepare your mind as far as like whether the end times come in my life or just the end of my life, I'm focused. I'm prepared. I'm not paralyzed by fear, but I'm actually driven by hope, by love, and by faith in Jesus Christ. And hopefully we can make a difference in this world by being that kind of church. I believe the reason that many churches aren't influential is because we look just like the world. And they're like, why would I follow you? You have no hope. You look just as anxious as me. You get just as argumentative as me. You talk bad just like me. We've got to be different. And that difference is that we're prepared with the word of God, the prayers to God, and that we're prepared to do the mission of God. And that's why in this world, you guys, the most important thing we do is seek and save the lost because the ship is going down. So who cares how good the food is or if the music's good? Why are we worrying about that kind of stuff? We need to prepare and help people get off the ship. We're going to worship now. And so uh, I'm going to have Pat come on up. Abilene, Aiden, go ahead and come on up. And We don't have any communion as we normally do, but I just encourage you during this time of worship to use it as a time to focus, to pray, and that your faith and your focus would be on Jesus in the midst of our world and that you'd be strengthened this week. Jesus, um, that's a tough topic, Lord. But you didn't avoid it. You're like, listen, I've got to be honest with you guys. This is what's happening. And Jesus, I pray that, I know for some of us, we could feel just scared what you said. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be. I know there's going to be sadness. Not everyone's going to choose you. But God, I pray that we would trust you. We would trust you, Lord, more than anything else. God, I pray most of all that we would be people, that we would not be deceived in our own faith. But we really each day thank you for the grace that you've given us. Live out the love that you've shown us, Lord. And that we live with a sense of urgency. I think sometimes we live as, as if eternity is right now and it's not. So God, I pray you give us an urgency as a church 
to be on mission for you, to talk to people, to ask questions, and to have a view, Lord, where we really care about them and where they're going forever. So I pray you'd motivate us and give us opportunities this week, Lord, to be prepared for you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com. 